You're listening to a podcast from Turner's Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. Well, in Luke's uh, second book, The Acts of the Apostles, he gives us a much fuller account of the time Jesus spent with the disciples after his resurrection. And he gives us a fuller, more detailed account of the ascension. And here in his gospel, it rather seems like... Um, He's almost deliberately giving the impression that the Lord's ascension and time with the disciples all happened on that first day of the week, the resurrection day, the eighth day, as uh, we we came to call it. And there's a reason for his brevity here. There's a reason why his account in Acts and the account in Luke are different. And that's because he wants to drive home for us an important uh, point of understanding uh, that helps us to give give a picture of the church throughout Luke this 24th chapter of Luke I've got the impression I can't remember if I mentioned this last week that Luke is kind of giving us again and again through the appearance of Jesus with his disciples he's giving us a picture not only of what happened he's accurately recording that history but he's kind of weaving in by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit pictures for us of what it means to be the church uh, spending time with Jesus, spending time with his word, spending time uh, around a meal, gathering together, all those things. And last week we talked about that great commission that actually is fundamental to our identity as church, as people who encounter the Lord Jesus and have fellowship with him are people who are sent as well. Well, and here in this last uh, few verses, I think that, again, Luke is, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, bringing to our attention a, a fundamental part of what it means to be church. And he, he does that. Um, by making connections between his account of the ascension and Leviticus chapter 9. You didn't see that coming, did you? Leviticus chapter 9. Put, grab a Bible, put your finger in Leviticus chapter 9. I'll do it with you. It's page 110 in, a, in the P Bible. And there are, there are several links. I'm not going to list a few. And to be honest with you, if you spend some time on your own looking at Leviticus chapter 9, you probably spot some more. I wouldn't be surprised if you spot some more than I did. But there are definitely some deliberate links. Firstly, you've got um, in verse 22 of Leviticus chapter 9, you've got um, Aaron lifting up his hands and blessing the people, which is kind of a mirror to what Jesus does. It's almost word for word the same thing as what Jesus does to the disciples. Then you've got Moses and Aaron going into the tabernacle into the tent of meeting so which is a mirror for the ascension which we later on find out is jesus ascending to the spiritual tabernacle so you've got this kind of match uh, going on there then verse 24 uh, of leviticus you've got um, the joy as the fire of the lord descends upon the offering and consumes the offering the people are filled with joy and luke finishes by telling us that in verse 52 that the disciples were uh, filled with great joy and then you've got, um, in same verse 24 uh, of Leviticus 9, you've got the people falling on their faces, prostrate. And then in Luke, you've got this word that um, Luke doesn't use anywhere else to describe the disciples' actions towards Jesus, which we translate as worship. That's in verse 52. They worshipped him, which is quite literally, they prostrated themselves. They laid down in worship before him. So there's this deliberate link. And um I mean, there are other reasons why he says that as well, because they recognize him as God now. But you see, he's, he's drawing these passages together. And then you've got this theme of, of blessing, of blessing. So they stay continually at the temple in Luke 
this is 24, sorry to switch backwards and forwards. Uh, Luke 24, verse 53. They say, continue at the temple, praising God. And actually, sorry to say, I love the NIV, 1984 version. It's, it's really one of my favorite translations of the Bible. But the word in Greek is blessing God. And that's deliberate. Luke is evoking for us this blessing is something that priests do. It's a, it's a priestly activity. So they're in the temple blessing. And it evokes, again, this picture of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting and Aaron as, as the priest of God. So what's going on here? Why this connection? Well, in one sense, this is very, very straightforward. It is, if you like, the uh, as the writer to the Hebrews tells us later on, these earthly things that are recorded in Leviticus, the earthly tabernacle, the later the temple, these are earthly copies of spiritual realities. There is a heavenly temple. And then when Jesus ascended into heaven, he went into the Holy of Holies in heaven to be our high priest. He is like the fulfillment of Aaron, if you like. He's, he's going to, to, to fulfill this high priestly function for us, mediating between us and the Father. And then, of course, there's the fire coming down out of heaven uh, to accept the offering in Leviticus. Is Luke pointing us towards his next book, which begins pretty much straight away with Pentecost. So he's saying that there's this link. It's really, really important that you understand there's this link. Jesus has gone up to the heavenly temple. And the reason the fire comes down is because the temple is now prepared. It's ready. It's ready to go. And the priest is there fulfilling that, that high priestly function. So that's on one level, which is pretty amazing. However, there is a slight puzzle here. Because in the context of Leviticus, that what's happening there is that... For, that Aaron and his sons are being sanctified themselves in order so that they can be priests. So basically, they are normal human beings. They have sin and, you know, they've messed up. They've, you know, lied and they've done all sorts of things. And in order to serve in God's temple, they themselves have to be cleansed. And so the previous chapter, Leviticus 8, is these seven days of, of preparation of Moses actually offering on the behalf of Aaron and his sons these these uh, offerings in order that they can dwell in God's presence, they can be in the temple continually in his holy presence, that they can see his glory and be uh, close to that fire that will descend without themselves being consumed. They have to be sanctified. They have to be made holy. They have to be prepared for that. Now Jesus didn't need to be made holy. He didn't need to be prepared to be in his father's presence because he was perfect. He never sinned. So what's the link? Why is Luke drawing us our attention? Or why is the Holy Spirit drawing our attention to this? It's not just that Jesus is this high priest for us. It's not just that Jesus is in heaven ministering, ministering for us. It's that Jesus, as the Son of God, has taken on our human flesh. And he's taken our humanity into heaven so that we can dwell in the presence of God, so that we can experience his glory, so that we can experience the fire of God's love without being consumed. And so... The picture that Luke is painting for us is, yes, on the one hand, Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He sat down and he's reigning from there. But it's, it's, he wants us to understand that it's Jesus as a human being. So that your nature, your physicality, your humanity is in heaven right now. And there is this bridge 
if you like, between heaven and earth that flows from the body of Christ through to you. He is the high priest in heaven, but we become his priests on earth. There is this link between us. You know the Latin word for priest, pontifex, which we don't use very often in Protestant churches, to be honest with you. Pontifex means literally a bridge. If you know your romantic languages, it's pontifex, it's a bridge. And so Jesus is in heaven, we're on earth, and there is a bridge between us. He is in, our, Jesus in his body is in heaven, experiencing the glory of God, but the glory of God comes down through him to us, to the church, to those who believe in him, and share that humanity. Its glory comes to us and flows out to the world. God has established a bridgehead. And thinking again about this turning outwards that we talked about last week, this message that I believe God would bring to us as a church, uh, and I think is re-emphasized again this week. The angle, if you like, that I think comes to us from Luke's gospel is this. We have this incredible, (laughs) incredible, Gospel, that means we are reconciled to the Father, that we can experience his love in relationship, that we can encounter him and know him as Father and be filled with all that joy and peace and holiness. That, like, the, that, like, you know, the Garden of Eden was guarded with a flaming sword, the, the angel wielding that sword is that fire that keeps us away from him, that fear, that dread that, that filled the people when they encountered God in the Old Testament and they saw you know, they saw fire on the mountain, they heard thunder, and they were filled with, with a kind of awesome dread of God. It's transformed because of what Jesus has done into his love being poured into our hearts. That is amazing. But that is not the end. God wants to pour his love into our hearts, fill us up, so that we overflow into the world with his glory, with his love. With his power, he wants to, he wants us to be like a, a fountain, like a, somehow connected to, to, to the, the love of heaven, the glory of heaven poured down through us and flowing outwards into the world. If we go right back to Genesis, if we go right back to the fall, God made human beings as the bridge, the priests in this world. We were the only creature, spiritual and physical. We're the place where heaven and earth meet. That's, you know, God breathes into Adam. That's his plan. That was the temple, if you like. That's where heaven and earth met in us. And God's plan was to fill the whole world through humanity with his glory. To make it all a place that was perfectly spiritual, perfectly physical, united in an amazing combination. That was the plan. And after sin came into the world, you know, we, that, that plan went awry. Well, from our perspective, God knew, knew what he was doing. And the temple, this pure temple that was our humanity, was replaced by a physical temple. A place, again, where heaven meets earth. So that's what we get in the Old Testament again and again. Is, you know, Moses goes into the tabernacle, he encounters God's glory there. Because this is the one place on the earth where, where his glory could dwell, where heaven and earth could meet. And if you wanted to meet God, you went to the temple. But that was just a a temporary plan. God's plan was always that that would be replaced with the original again, that through Jesus, 
we could once again, you and I, in our humanity, be the place where heaven and earth meet. And we get these pictures in the Bible that explain what the temple is for. Not just the place to meet God, but actually you get it in you get it in Ezekiel, you get this river flowing out of the temple. You get it in Revelation, you get this river flowing out of the temple where the temple's surrounded by desert, but as the river flows out, life comes into the world. Life comes into the world. So you get that in Ezekiel, there's abundant, you know, uh, this river surrounded by trees and vegetation and full of fish and, you know, it's life is being sent out of the temple. In Revelation, you get the river flowing out and bringing healing to the nations. That's a picture of what God wants to do through you and me. To fill the world with his glory. So, that's the theology, I suppose you'd say. That's the theory. (laughs) Can you see the link that Luke is making for us? Can you see? We can sum it up. God wants us to be a priestly people. He wants us to be a bridge between heaven and earth, filling the world with his glory, transforming the world. What does a world look like that is full of the fruit of the Spirit? What does the world look like that's transformed by people who have love, peace, and joy, gentleness and patience and self-control, goodness and kindness? What does a world look like that is full of that? It's not otherworldly in that kind of narrow sense that we might think of. But it is otherworldly in the sense that it's this world that we know transfigured, raised up, filled with peace and righteousness and the joy of the gospel, filled with the love of God, filled with his shalom. Now you understand that God wants to do that through you. And that's really his his message for us today. Now God wants your relationship with him to be this overflow where he fills the world around you, through you, through your relationship with him. Each of us in different ways, each of us through whatever calling is on our lives, whatever personality we have. He wants to change the world and fill it with his goodness. And that verse, is if we understand that, that verse that finishes Luke's gospel, that they stay continually at the temple, blessing God, becomes a description of the Christian life. That's God's word to us today. Is this, he wants you to be continually in the temple, being that bridge between heaven and earth, overflowing with that goodness to the people around you, overflowing with that goodness to the world around you. He wants us to be a nation of priests, interceding, overflowing, filling, fruitful. Is that good? So, it's last week we talked about the gospel and how God wants us to be sharp and ready and expectant. But these two things go hand in hand. The gospel makes sense when Christians fill the world with God's goodness. It gives people the understanding, the imagery, the, the language, the experience, the taste and see that the Lord is good. So that as we preach the gospel to them, the words make sense. 
You know, if you look at the way uh, God uh, worked powerfully through the people of Israel, again and again, he uses, just like we found out with the temple, he uses physical things in order to prepare the way so that we can understand the gospel. So things like the temple, things like Abraham taking Isaac up Mount Moriah, you know, for, for that sacrifice. Uh, things that show us and explain to us what the gospel is. And actually the same is true for your life. God will use you in physical ways, practical ways, through your kindness, through your goodness, through doing good, through doing your job, through being a mother or a father, a husband or a wife or whatever it is. God will use those things in order to make the gospel make sense to people. So actually, just to, to pick up on what Andrew said a, a few minutes ago, in one sense, that eternal thing of sharing the gospel with someone is, that's the thing we want to aim for. But that only makes sense in a world where there are carpenters doing their job. There are only people for us to evangelize to because there are mothers doing their job in, all around the world, just to be really practical about it. But actually, the gospel only makes sense when we go out living those lives that are full of that goodness. And so we need both things. And actually, maybe you're listening to Andrew and thinking, well, I'm not being sent out to do mission. What's my role in the world? Well, you do have to be ready to give an account. You do really have to be ready to speak the gospel. But you also have to see, how is God calling me to fill the world with these things that make sense of his love? So God is calling us. He's calling us to be priests. He's calling us to shine like stars, to hold out in the world of life in the way that we live. He's calling us to, to be fountains of goodness into the world. So then, what more personally then, what would God say to us? He would say once again that our focus in our relationship with him should be on being fruitful. That if we come, to be a priest is to mediate. It is to stand between. It is to not just be filled and to encounter God, but it is to be filled and to overflow. What a privilege it was to be Aaron, or one of Aaron's sons, to go and stand in the temple day after day to minister before the Lord, to encounter his glory. What a privilege that was. What a privilege we have to be able to come and meet with the living God, to have a personal relationship with him, to know Jesus Christ, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What a privilege we have to enjoy his presence. But if that is it, it is not enough. If that's the end result, it's not enough. And God would say to us, it will turn stagnant. If you just come to meet me, if you just come for the experience, if you just come to be filled, if you just come for encounter, it will be like a, a dam that never overflows. The water will just, you know, turn yucky. It's turned from living water to stagnant water. But if you come, into my presence, if you come to be filled in order to overflow, then you, there will be life. And he's challenging us, speaking to us in all of our, all the ways we encounter him, personally, in our own relationship with him, in our family life, in our church worship. He is challenging us to come with this, this attitude. It's, it's not terribly easy to grasp in one sense, the difference between coming just to church, let's say, just to encounter God and coming to church to encounter God in order to bless others. But there's a, there is a big difference, isn't there? It's that desire 
took less others. So, just three really practical areas of challenge I think God would speak to us about where we would check, he would speak to us about being stagnant and just changing our attitude. Firstly, in our, in our own relationship with God, in our discipleship. Let's just say even in our, in our quiet time, in our Bible reading, in our um, spending time in prayer with him. If there's a stagnancy in your prayer life, in your own personal discipleship, if there is a kind of feeling like things aren't how they used to be, if there's a feeling of it's not how it should be, God would say to you this morning, are you focused on bearing fruit? Are you focused on having my love flow through you to others? There's a world of difference between setting aside time to spend with God in the morning so that you can enjoy him and coming to that like a, in a priestly fashion and saying, Lord, I want to bless you and I want so I can bless others. I want to come into your presence to know you, to be filled so that I can overflow and bless people around me. That's a world of difference. If you come to the Bible and you just want to get a great verse to encourage yourself, you know, God's he's so gracious. He's a loving father. He's so patient with us. He does bear with us. He knows we stumble and muddle our way through this spiritual life. But he also calls us to grow up as well. And he'd say, when you come to my word, when you come to prayer, my, ch- my child, be mature in these things. Know that I want to bless through you. Come with that priestly heart to be a bridge Second practical place I think God would challenge us is in our household. I'd say family, but it doesn't have to be family per se, because we're all in different situations, but in our households. You know, the Puritans had this idea, and I think it's really well-founded, that the, the, the home, the household, is the first church. And I'll just say to you that, especially, well, whatever situation you're in, God can bless so richly. He can bless the world around you so richly. He can fill the world with good things and do amazing things so richly through your families, through your home life. There's such variety, such rich resource, such efficiency in family life that God is able to bless the world around you in incredible ways. And I just encourage you, especially those of you who are parents of young children, the temptation so often is, it's, it's hard work, isn't it? Just to stay on top of things, just to you know, make ends meet and to get through the day without pulling your hair out or the hair of your children out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard, to, you feel like you know, you're just keeping your head above water, but God would challenge us. He'd say, actually, if this fruitfulness comes when you realize that your family is there, not just you know, for your kids to survive childhood, get to adulthood and you can just go... Phew, we made it. But actually, God wants to bless the world around you through your families. He wants to bring good things into people's lives. He wants to bring you know, fellowship into the lives of the lonely. He wants to bring joy into the lives of those whose children have left home. He wants to, to bring wisdom into the life of people who don't know the Lord. He don't know his, his love and his law. He wants to bless people through your family life. And so it just goes back to that 
refrain we find echoing again and again and again through the New Testament, which is that call to hospitality. Open your life up. Don't give in to the insular, inward-looking, fortress, every man's home is his castle mentality of, of modern Great Britain. God wants your home to be a fountain that overflows to the world around you. Yes, you need a place to rest and recover. Yes, you need privacy. Yes, you can't spend all your time with people. But such blessing resides in your, that family life, your household life, that it is not just to keep it to yourselves. It's not right to keep it to yourselves. And it's, it turns stagnant if you keep it to yourselves. And thirdly, practically, I think God would challenge us in our Worship again as we come together on Sundays to be this outward looking church in terms of both the gospel and in terms of blessing. You know, when we back when we did the um, Ten Commandments, we talked about the Sabbath and we talked about how each Sunday was the most, the highest, the most holy day of the, of the church calendar, if you like. So we've got all these, um, you know, Christmas and Easter and so on, but every Sunday, is like super important that we're there. And, and the foundation of that was it's just, it's justice. It's actually just justice. Like God has given us all these good things, amazing, rich lives, full of goodness. And it's just right that we offer back to him, apart from all the other benefits of worshiping together. It's just right that we offer back to him every Sunday we meet together and offer back to him our worship. That's just the, the right thing to do. And there's really no kind of dodging that. doesn't matter you know, what priorities come, whatever. There's no dodging those things. But, you know, it's not just just in terms of what we owe God, but actually, if you understand that what we're doing here is for the, it's for the life of the world too. That actually, if you see the picture that Luke is painting for us is like this great power line running from the throne room of heaven down to the church, and then from there out into the world. Or if you like, this great fountain of water pouring out of heaven into the base of the church and overflowing like rivers into the world, bringing life, however you want to picture that. That actually the world is depending on us to meet together for their sake. This is the place where all the gifts of God are gathered together in his people. All the blessings of God are gathered together. We offer up our praises together and we breathe in his spirit so that we can go into the world and bring life to the world. That's what we're here for. And we talked as an eldership, we talked about the importance of just having that outward focus. It was great to have that, that challenge from some of the guys just saying, you know, we need to look outwards. And I think God has taken that and would pass that on to us as a church. We've talked about, you know, just really practical things like ending our services with a dismissal, which is a very traditional thing to do. But it's like, a, now you've met with God, now go out and do good. Fill the world with God's love and with the gospel. You know, I think there's this tricky thing that I, for a long time I've, I've really struggled with. Like, we, as a charismatic church, we love to be in God's presence. And there are some things that just jar a little, a little bit in terms of how we do church because they feel a little bit awkward compared to a lot of our experience. And one of those things is praying for the world. You know, when you stop, stop the worship and it's like the kids go out and it's kind of like, and now we're going to pray for it. And we name really specific situations, you know. And it could be someone over the road, or it could be someone in another country, or it could be a political situation, all those things. But actually, that focus just reminds us, what are we here for? We encounter God in order to bless. And I just, I want to encourage you, 
Encourage the leadership as we lead to come and lead those prayers, but come you, encourage you to, to come with a heart for the people around you, ready to pray for them. Thinking, Lord, I want to receive from you today so that I can bless. I want to come with prayers so that I can pray for those around. And to come ready to carry something away. You know, and maybe even in our worship, an emphasis on this outward looking. I was reminded of a, a great hymn we used to sing in my school, which didn't seem to me like the most religious place, <laughs> the most spiritual place at the time, but the God whose almighty word chaos and darkness heard and took their flight. Hear us, we humbly pray. And where the gospel ray sheds not its, and where the gospel ray shed not its glorious day, let there be light. It's, what is it? It's outward looking, isn't it? I want to encounter. I want to tell Jesus I love him. I want to worship him and adore him. I want to enjoy his presence. But I also want to say, Lord, let the gospel ray shine in the far corners of the earth. So these three areas in particular, individually in our households, in our church, I think God would just say, think how to, yes, be filled. Yes, encounter me, but how to overflow. Pray on those things. Think about those things. Just to finish, and I think it seems like a small detail, but I think this is from the Lord on the same subject as well. Um, verse 50 of Luke 24. Uh, Luke uses the, word, uh, uses the name Bethany to describe um, the place where Jesus ascended. And uh, it's, it's really significant because he doesn't use that word anywhere else. I don't think in the gospel he tends to use the Mount of Olives. Bethany was a village in the Mount of uh, Mount of Olives, and the significance on a big level of this is that in Ezekiel chapter eleven, verse twenty-three, you don't have to look it up, but you can if you want to. <laughs> there is a prophecy that says the glory of the Lord will ascend from the Mount of Olives, and so there's this messianic expectation that you know, and and Luke is telling us is. Jesus is fulfilling that. He's the, gl- the glory of the Lord is revealed and he's ascending. He's going to the right hand of the Father. It's that fulfillment of that Ezekiel prophecy. But he uses this name Bethany. And Bethany wasn't just the Mount of Olives. It was also one of the Lord Jesus' favorite places. It's the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. The place where he ate and drank and, I guess, laughed and wept. A place very human, very everyday. Very real. And, you know, we think about these big pictures of God wanting to fill the earth with goodness. and It can sound very abstract. But the truth is God wants to fill our everyday, our everyday things with his glory. Our everyday things with his glory. It says in Revelation 22, Mark read for us earlier, there'll be no temple in the city. The reason there'll be no temple is because everything will be the temple. Every bit of life in the age to come will be worshipped to God that is offered to him in blessing, that blesses others and is filled with his glory. The glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And one of the great ways to understand this Christian life that God wants to do now is he wants to lift the veil that stops us from seeing that the very everyday things we do, our work, our parenthood, our marriages, 
our prayer, our good works. Sometimes these things feel very mundane. But if we're continually in the temple, if we ask God to lift that veil and enable us to see every day, every second of every day, every moment of every day can be filled with his glory. To be filled with his glory is not just to be transported. It's for his glory to arrive here and fill every second. And just what I feel the Lord would say just as we finish is this, is maybe there's some of you you feel there's a part of your life where you cannot reconcile what we're talking about with this idea that God wants to fill the world with goodness through you. There's some part of your life that is so mundane, so ordinary, you just think, God, why do I have to do this? What is the purpose of this? What good is coming of this? And I believe God would ask you... <laughs> to pray and ask him to show you what that is, that you can reveal his glory in every part of your life. You can be continually in his temple. Let's pray.